Good morning. The schedule says special message last week and this week. Last week I appreciated the message on being rescuers, how God desires us in our lives to be rescuers, we who know the Lord Jesus, to, um, to make that a priority in our lives. And uh, this week, we trust that the Lord will give a a special message again from Galatians 6. Galatians 6. Our text this morning is uh, Galatians 6, 9 and 10. As you're turning there, how many of you are weary? How many of you are weary? Okay. Some here are weary. What's the cure for weariness? Isla? Rest. Rest is the cure for weariness. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. I'm sorry, uh, yes. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are, are of the household of faith. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul instructs the believers not to grow weary. Our Lord Jesus exhausted himself in his three years of earthly ministry, and it was not sin. He was not acting against his Father's commandments. So why does Paul tell us not to be weary, not to grow weary? What's the matter with weariness? We're going to look at these verses in answer to three questions this morning. What is wrong with weariness? What are dangers in doing good? The the apostle talks about uh, doing good. Let us not grow weary while doing good. And then thirdly, how can we avoid growing weary? What's wrong with weariness? Obviously, The apostle was not exhorting against physical weariness, against fatigue, because he himself was subject to to great weariness. And um, as we pointed out already, the Lord Jesus was uh, so weary that he fell asleep in the the, uh, stern of a boat in a storm. Uh, He was weary. But rather, Paul addresses a condition of the heart, not physical weariness. To grow weary... Our Bible dictionary defines as to be discouraged, to lose heart, and that's how the New American Standard uh, translates this, uh, grow weary, is to lose heart or to be faint-hearted. So weariness is uh, discouragement. It's a soul dissatisfaction. It's a soul dissatisfaction. It's an exasperation with the Lord's expectations of his followers. It's a discontentment with the Lord, with his salvation, with his providence, or with his provision. Examples. The extreme case is Israel. We've tracked Israel's history through the wilderness wandering. We see how how discontented they were in, in their travels. But um, 
Isaiah records this uh, of the Lord speaking about Israel. He said, you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have been weary of me, O Israel. Weary of the Lord. Amazing. Israel had, um, had lost its love, had lost its, its vision of the Lord, and uh, they grew weary of him. In Malachi 3, it's uh, recorded, You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? So that's Malachi's phrase, uh, useless to serve God. That was the heart condition of the nation of Israel, and this is, um, this is what Paul is speaking against. There's no mistaking Israel's defiance. There's no question that Israel's attitude was wrong, was sinful. There are examples in Scripture of uh, people who better fit the, uh, the picture, the example of um, believers who are discouraged, who are disheartened. Uh, Elijah, Jeremiah, Jonah. We could just go down the list of prophets, I think, and, um, and realize uh, here were men who were uh, disheartened. Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. He said, it is enough. Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's. Elijah had enjoyed great blessing from the Lord. He was to enjoy further blessing from the Lord, but he was dissatisfied. He was um, uh, not happy with the way things were turning out. Things had taken a, a, a turn for the worse. Um, Jezebel was, uh, was threatening his life, and, uh, and he, was, uh, he was exasperated. Jeremiah, here are Jeremiah's words, O Lord, you induced me, you seduced me, and I was persuaded. You're stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Remember Jeremiah's ministry against, um, against Israel. Everyone mocks me, for when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder, because the word of, Lord, of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. I'm through. I'm finished. I'm disheartened. I'm, I'm not satisfied with, uh, with this whole ministry, and I refuse to speak the Lord's word anymore. This is Jeremiah. Jonah. Then God saw their works, that was Nineveh that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. God did not respond to Nineveh as Jonah had expected, and so Jonah was angry. 
We can relate to people like this who are prone to discouragement and um, uh, losing their grasp on, on the promises of God, <clears throat> but it doesn't make it right. These men were not right in their attitudes. Discouragement comes from dissatisfaction with the way God rules. <clears throat> Discontentment discredits our Savior and provider and therefore dishonors him. Therefore, Paul writes, do not grow weary in doing good. <clears throat> what are some dangers in doing good? One would think, oh, uh, what, uh, what danger could there be in doing good? And yet there are some pitfalls that we want to avoid. Basically, it's uh, misguided zeal. Some use good works as an entitlement to heaven. They see it as a, a stairway to, uh, to God, a way to peace with God. I know I'm going to heaven because I've rescued thousands, uh, hundreds anyway, of strays from the street. I know that I'm going to see Jesus because uh, I take my neighbor to the bank and to the grocery store uh, and to doctor's appointments. I drive her there. I know that I'm right with God because I paid my brother's way through college. I tithe every week. These are works that people use thinking that they're going to heaven, but we are not saved by our good works. For by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it Salvation is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. <clears throat> the only boasting in heaven will be of, uh, of the Lord Jesus by his, uh, by his followers, not of anything that we have done. But sinners are saved for good works, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Sinners, ungodly, can be saved only by someone else's good work, that of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus died as a substitute for you, and it's on the merit of his blood, of his sacrifice, that anyone can, can come to God. So, no, it's not on the basis of our good works, but on, on His. We confess our helplessness. We confess our uh, hell deservedness. We admit, um, we admit that we've uh, broken God's law. And uh, we confess that um, Jesus Christ is Lord. We confess that He rose from the dead. That's how we enter into the benefit of, uh, of God's salvation. Have you taken that step? Have you stepped from self-reliance to Christ-reliance? Abandoned your own good works, they're, they're rubbish, they're, they're filthy, they're no good, and accepted that one great work of, uh, of Jesus Christ for you? If not, take that step today. Weariness 
Some are weary because they do someone else's work thinking it's the Lord's work. What is the difference between work for the Lord and work of the Lord? We, um, we see that difference in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Some of the Lord's followers do work for the Lord that is not work of the Lord. Harold Smith, in a Choice Gleanings article on this verse, said, what a challenge Paul gives here, particularly in view of the preceding verses about the Lord's return. It is worth noticing that the verse does not say to abound in work for the Lord, but in the work of the Lord. What's the difference? We must first find out what he wants us to do before we can do the work of the Lord. Therefore, let us search the scriptures diligently, daily. There is work that is done for the Lord that is not work of the Lord. Let us take care to do what he commands and not do what we think. Similarly to uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians um, 15 is our Lord Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11, 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some bear these heavy yokes you are familiar with the, um, with the big wooden beam that the ox uses to hook up to a plow in the old days. But um, that heavy yoke is not of the Lord Jesus. It's an oppressive load. Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light because it's a double yoke. It's got a place for two. And the Lord Jesus is pulling the load of that yoke. That's what makes it easy. That's what makes the burden light, is that the Lord Jesus teams up with his believer, and so as we serve, as we minister, uh, he's, he's pulling the load. I may have used this illustration before. I enjoy it. But um, uh, in this room over here, one of the children wanted to help move tables, um, these uh, particle board folding tables, and so I had, <clears throat> I had this table folded up, and I was uh, starting along with it, and uh, he insisted, so I found that by grabbing the center of the table, I was hefting most of the load, and he was behind, and he was carrying his share, uh, he was helping, but um, his load was easy, his burden was light. He could say afterwards, yeah, I helped, I helped, uh, helped move tables. And likewise, uh, we, we do the work of the Lord and we find that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. There is that self-deception of offering the Lord Jesus something he does not want, doing things for the Lord that were not of the Lord. It's Cain-like. Remember, Cain offered the produce of the ground. It was hard work. He, was, uh, he labored in the garden to produce this nice fruit and vegetables. 
And uh, he brought it to the Lord, and the Lord rejected it. And Cain was very angry. Why? Because the Lord had asked for a blood sacrifice, uh, a picture of the Lord Jesus in his sacrifice for us. And uh, we can think that um, because I've labored, because I've sweated over this, because I've agonized over it, that the Lord has to accept it. No. What's done for the Lord must be of the Lord. That, um, that blouse that uh, I purchased for Aunt Elsie, um, it wasn't a color that she wears. It was a size too small, but it was on sale. And uh, you know how frugal Aunt Elsie is? Well, you think she, you think she liked the gift? Isn't it the thought that counts? No. We don't offer the Lord what he doesn't want. Does the Lord assign our life's work? He did the Lord Jesus' work so that the Lord could say, I have finished the work my Father gave me to do. And on the cross of Calvary, after the, uh, after the darkness, the three hours of darkness, the Lord could cry, it is finished. The Lord, the Father gave him that work to do. And uh, he gives us work to do. Does it include responsibilities in the local assembly? One would think so. He equips us with spiritual gifts to accomplish that, that work. We appreciate the brothers and sisters who exercise their spiritual gifts in the uh, performance of that work, um, spending themselves for the benefit of us others. Whose yoke are you bearing? Whose yoke are you bearing? It makes a difference. It's easy to become discouraged under another person's yoke. How do I find out what the Lord's work is for me? How do I do that? Peggy? Read his word. Yes, it's right here in his word. I prayerfully take his word. I open his word. I've got a decision coming up. I have... Um, uh, a job change, I have a um, responsibility shift, uh, I have an opportunity that comes up, I open God's word and I prayerfully ask the Lord, guide me, direct me, show me, what is the work that you have for me to do? I want to be, I uh, want to do something significant for you, I want something, I want my life to count for time and eternity. And we find that in his word. Paul says, do not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap. What is it that we're going to reap? What do you think that is? Rewards in heaven. Yes, good. It is um, a reward in heaven. It is the Lord's approval. It is his joy. It is the fruit of success. So how can we avoid becoming weary? There are keys in, this, in these two verses. In some cases, though, a good night's rest is all we need. The body houses the soul and spirit. What distresses the physical is bound to have an effect on the spiritual. This was the case of our prophet Elijah. The Lord's angel gave Elijah rest. 
he allowed Elijah to sleep, and he woke him up. He gave him a, a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. Eat, drink. The, um, uh, the journey is long. And uh, Elijah refreshed himself, went back to sleep, and woke, <clears throat> and went in the strength of that for 40 days. So sometimes what we need to do is to rest. Paul says, um, in due season we shall reap. In due season, at the proper time. It speaks of patience. We want benefits now. We want to reap now. And um, the illustration, the image that um, Paul is evoking here in these verses is that of a farmer. And the, uh, the farmer plows his field, and then he plants the seed. Um, that seed's not going to sprout up the next day. He's got to wait sometimes weeks for, um, uh, to see that the, uh, that the crops are, are coming up. You and I are poor at timing. We're bad, um, we're bad schedulers when it comes to benefits. We have neither God's omniscience nor his omnipresence. We haven't his infinite wisdom. God is in heaven and we are on earth. We're not skilled to orchestrate the lives of 7.5 billion people. So when I'm, I'm uh, impatiently asking the Lord for fruit, Lord, give me fruit in this ministry, in this service, I, uh, I'm not considering the lives of those around me necessarily, and the Lord does. We don't have God's wisdom, so we exercise patience instead in due season. Uh, second way to avoid um, weariness is um, found in these wor words, uh, we shall reap. We shall reap. It's a promise. It requires faith and hope. Listen to Isaiah. He said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Isaiah, another prophet, knew the um, despondency and discouragement of, uh, of his own expectations. Yet he continues in Isaiah 49.4, he says, my, uh, Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with God. So, yeah, I feel the sting of, um, of uh, despondency, of, um, of hurt. And yet, through that all, this is a favorite uh, encouragement of Bill McDonald's, through all of that, I know that the Lord has my benefits. I know he has my just reward. Isaiah trusted the Lord for any benefits that he was re to receive, though he may not have seen them in his lifetime. The Apostle Paul wrote similarly in 2 Timothy 1. He said, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed until that day. Any fruitfulness, any benefit, any reaping, is in the Lord's hand, in his keeping. Would you have it anywhere else? 
What we expect to reap, to harvest for doing good, we've, um, we've already mentioned that there are rewards in heaven. To Isaiah, it was a just reward. It was um, something that he felt was uh, just from God. It was um, fruit from his labor. It was a uh, response to his prophesying. It was joy in his success. To the Apostle Paul, it was a crown in glory. In 2 Timothy 4, he wrote, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. Paul had um, a cure, had a preventive medicine for discouragement. He had that confidence that the Lord had a crown for him, a, uh, a reward for his, his hard labor. What did Paul reap? It wasn't just a crown. It wasn't just a, a reward for his labor, but it was the confidence in his lifetime that he had that awaiting him. Precious, precious uh, um, possession was Paul's confidence. Of the crown, we could sing with the songwriter, we thank thee for the crown of glory and of life. Tis no poor withering wreath of earth, man's prize in mortal strife. Uh, July 3rd, uh, my brother and I sat in a restaurant in Atlanta, and um, we saw people coming into the restaurant with uh, Peachtree Road Race shirts on. Uh, the race was going to be the next day, but these were people who were wearing their shirts from previous years, and it was amazing to see all the people in the restaurant with their, their Peachtree Road Race t-shirts. They ran 6.2 miles in grueling heat and humidity for a t-shirt. <clears throat> Poor withering wreath of earth. What will men and women do for, um, for a cotton t-shirt? Paul's crown was incorruptible as is the throne, the kingdom of our God and his incarnate son. The greatest of all our expectations in reaping is better than even a crown. It is the Lord's approval for a life of doing good. We anticipate his approval in glory. Each of us believers must stand before his bima, his judgment seat, and receive an evaluation of our lives. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There will be that initial ecstasy, that joy of being in the presence of Jesus. Gene Robertson experienced that yesterday, that uh, ushering into the Lord's presence. Did he embrace her as they met? 
The Lord Jesus knows intimacy with his followers. John leaned his head on his Savior's breast. He could hear the heartbeat. Wish Tom Rodriguez were here. Tom gives a, gives a loving hug. And I wonder if that's our welcome to heaven, an embrace from the Lord Jesus. How long would you hold that embrace? A decade? Two? An age? While he whispers in my ear, I am yours and you are mine. You're home. You're finally home. I cherish this moment, the Lord Jesus may tell us. I've longed for you to share this with me from eternity past. When I created the earth, I had you in mind. I formed the dust, which would uh, eventually form your body. There on the cross of Calvary, your sins I took. You were much on my mind, much on my heart, as I labored there for you on the cross. When you were born, I rejoiced because I knew that eventually you'd be mine. You took that step of faith. You knelt before me and you confessed faith in me. That was a joy of my heart. But now you're here, you're home, and I've wiped away your tears. There'll be no more sorrows. All your cares and worries have slipped away. I am yours. You are mine. What joy unmingled will be ours. At some point in our thrill and the pleasures at God's right hand, there will be this bema. There will be this judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to review the things of your life from the start of your Christian life on through to the finish. I struggled for an illustration of that. And the best that I could come up with was um, a performance evaluation at my work. Every year, my boss is to, um, to write an evaluation. How, uh, how did my worker do this past year? It was an anxious time for me. I just had one a month ago. And uh, uh, I knew as the day approached that I could have done things better. There were things that I could have done that I didn't do. So uh, we, we sat across the table from each other. We chatted about business, about personal lives, about, um, uh, about the future. And I was, I was reading, I was trying to read his face. Was his smile uh, an unqualified approval of what I'd done this past year? Or were there shadows of disappointment that were, that were creeping across his face? I couldn't read his face. I couldn't. I didn't fear losing my job. This wasn't about uh, keeping me employed. This was about uh, how I did. How is that an illustration of the, the judgment seat of Christ? 
when I see him, when I see his face, when we're about to, to have that review of my life, his smile, is it an unqualified approval? Or will, the, will there be disappointments? Will there be sorrows that, um, that, trace, that trace across his face? May we strive to win his smile in our doing good. May we labor for his approval, for his well done. What are remedies for weariness, patience, faith, and hope? This, um, this word that Paul gives here, that we, uh, if we do not lose heart, speaks of a need for diligence and endurance. Jowett wrote, um, wrote this, I'd like to quote, these words have a literal and very searching meaning. Let us not be weary in beautiful doing. The King James says, uh, let us not be weary in doing good, in, um, in well-doing. Uh, so Jowett interprets it, uh, beautiful doing. Our doing must be beautiful, always and everywhere beautiful. And there comes the strain. If the field is hard, let the work be beautiful. There is something like that. Uh, I heard one man say of another man as he looked across his fields, he gazed across the most evident signs of labor and neatness and finish. And this is what he said, it is by no means easy land, but that's a bit of beautiful work. That's a bit of beautiful work. Is that not a fitting comment on Galatians 6, 9? You've got by no means an easy piece of land down there in your Sunday school class, your young people's Bible study, your yard maintenance. But let your work be beautiful. Let your farm be well kept. Let every furrow be as straight as though you were in competition with every farmer in the countryside. And so far as you are concerned, let there be no signs of carelessness or slovenliness in any corner of your field. Diligence and endurance. When is it time to quit the Lord's work? It's always too early to quit. Finally, last cure for weariness is found in verse 10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Speaks of love for others. Whatever good I attempt, if it is without love, I become a sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal, a closet full of clanging hangers, as one preacher said. If my doing for the Lord Jesus has not love, it is not beautiful. Love is not only the great cure for weariness, but also for loneliness and boredom. What's the cure for boredom? It's laying down our lives in service for others. What's the cure for service? There is no cure. It's an addiction. In the King James, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 15 spoke of 
the house of Stephanus being addicted to ministry. We are in an age of addiction. We have AA, we have NA, which is Narcotics Anonymous, but we don't have an SA, which is Servants Anonymous. There's no cure for life-giving, sacrificial service. Opportunities abound. Where do we begin? Especially to those who are of the household of faith. What's the cure for weariness? Well, first we need to recognize it when it appears. Recognize that discouragement, that discontentment with what God has done, with who God is, with His salvation, with His provision. Then we need patience to await that time of reaping. We need confidence that the Lord is keeping my just reward. He's got that crown. Uh, He's got that smile of approval. I need endurance to not faint, to not give up, to not quit. And finally, I need a love that seizes as many opportunities as possible. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were not subject to these um, discouragements, this weariness, this soul discontentedness. We thank you for your example of perfection. We are men of like passions with your prophets who are prone to discouragement, Lord. We pray that you might show us when we, uh, we, we exhibit that, we Uh, We have it in our lives. We pray that you would show us with uh, glaring clarity. Lord, we ask you to remind us of the um, patience that we need in um, awaiting this reaping time for the confidence that you are just in all that you do. And um, you're not unjust to forget um, our, our reward. We pray, Lord, for your endurance, not to faint or quit, and we ask you for this um, Calvary love for others that um, would drive us to, um, to this addiction, this um, uh, laying down our lives for others as you've laid down your life for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.